before. I'm Alex Fleming, and I've had the privilege of being able to call myself the youth pastor here at Brand for the past seven years. And welcome to Graduation Sunday. Uh, as the youth pastor at Brand, I uh, have also the privilege of taking the first weekend in June every year uh, to preach on Graduation Sunday as we honor our high school graduates who are all sitting up here up front, uh, like it or not, and uh, we get to recognize them. We get to celebrate their accomplishments, and we also uh, get to pray for them. And so uh, while I do want to recognize and celebrate your accomplishments this morning, uh, what I say today is meant to be an encouragement uh, and a reminder and, and maybe a new perspective on some things as well as you move into the next phase of your lives. And if you are the vast majority here who are not high school graduates, don't tune out just yet because I have a feeling that uh, what we're going to cover this morning is really going to apply and be valuable to all of us. And so here's a truth about our experience as human beings. We are in a constant state of reacting and responding to the world around us. Whether it's the physical aspects of our world or information that we gather, really any other thing that we experience, we are sort of taking things in and then we're responding to them. And, you know, for, for instance, when we pull up the weather app on our phone uh, in the morning and they're like, okay, negative five out this morning, or we look out the window, say, okay, there's some snow falling, we put on a coat before we go outside. If we've been up since 6 a.m., we feel our eyes getting sort of tired, heavy. At 11 p.m., we go to sleep. If you're me, 9 p.m. Um, speaking of sleeping, if you're also like me and drinking caffeine a little bit too late in the afternoon or the evening keeps you up all night, you realize that and you maybe switch to decaf at 2 p.m. And while there's an aspect of being proactive rather than reactive in, in certain areas of life, most of our life is spent in that dance of reacting to things, responding to things. But another reality is that sometimes we aren't the greatest uh, at choosing the wise and reasonable response to the information or things that we're experiencing. Many of you know that uh, a few years ago, I drove a school bus in the mornings for for a year, and uh, I lost count of the number of middle school boys that I would pick up shivering and shaking with like a long sleeve t-shirt or a hoodie and, you know, sometimes even shorts when it was like negative five out. Okay. You stepped outside. It's cold. Yeah, I'll be fine. And they may, they may have uh, scored some tough points with their friends, but I guarantee you their ears did not thank them. We're not always the greatest at responding reasonably and, and wisely uh, to things. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that trap when it comes to how we respond to truth. Specifically, even the truth that uh, we encounter in Scripture. So graduates, you, you have so many people in your life. Parents, grandparents, pastors, youth leaders, Sunday school and Awana teachers that have spent time, energy, effort, love over the past 18 or so years 
into helping you learn how to respond rightly and wisely to truth. Again, specifically the truth found in God's Word. And as you've gotten older, and this is true of all of us, as we get older, we've learned to become more independent. We are more independent now than we were when we were infants, and we were completely dependent on other people in order to meet our needs. And as we grow, we learn to do more and more things. And that's the journey that you've all been on for the past 18 years, and you're about to take that next step on that journey. And when we go through that process, the pressure can mount to compromise the way that we respond to truth. And when we compromise on those things, our view of truth can become blurry and it can become distorted. And that's why it's so important to return over and over and over to it, to keep our picture of truth clear and be reminded of what the reasonable response is to that truth. And so you're going to hear me use those two terms a lot this morning. What is truth? And what is the reasonable response to that truth? So the place I've found myself drawn to recently uh, is the Psalms. We spent the month of May studying them in youth Sunday school. We've talked about them a lot in youth group. I've been reading them a lot on my own. And I'm going to return to that book one more time this morning as we look at a psalm that reminds us of the truth of who God is and how we should respond to that truth. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 130. So Psalm 130 is part of a collection of psalms that span from 120 to 134, and they all have the title at the top of them, uh, Song of Ascent. And these psalms likely formed uh, a playlist of sorts, perhaps to use a modern term, uh, by worshipers as they were on their way to the sanctuary. And all of them, in one form or another, point to God's character as powerful, as merciful, and as faithful. And they point to God's rightful role in humans' lives as the object, the sole object of our worship, and as our hope, as our rescuer, and as our redeemer. And as we read through Psalm 130, we're going to see that it is well-placed in that category. And so before we really dive in, let me pray for us before we Um, open up God's word. And so, Father, I am thankful that you um, have reached out to us through your word, that we we can learn from it, we can um, encounter you and who you are, Lord, and and learn also how you desire for us to interact with you and respond to this truth. And so I pray that your spirit would guide us, that you would open up our hearts and minds for what you have for us this morning. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So many of you who know me know that there are certain areas of my life that I appreciate order in. There are plenty that I couldn't care less, but there are specific areas that I really appreciate order in. When I mow the lawn or use the snowblower, the lines have to be perfectly straight. And when my neighbor does my snowblowing, I appreciate it but I also see the, I know, I need help. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I do periodically here at Berean is clear off the stage and reset it. And you can always tell that I've been here 
because all of the cables that run along the front run right here where the, where the carpet changes color. Or if, or if they can't run there, they will run at a perfect 90 degree angle. Another thing I like is symmetry. So when I was a kid, I, I really liked blocks and Legos and stuff like that. And so everything I build would be like perfectly symmetrical. And now I have a two and a half year old that does not appreciate that. And I get a little twitchy. So it's only natural then with all of those things that I would appreciate the way that Psalm 130 is written. The hymn is split in half with the first half addressing God and his character as merciful, forgiving, and the second half highlighting our proper response to that. But we can, and we will this morning, actually go one step further and look at the four quarters of the hymn. It's eight verses, so uh, four quarters, two, two verses apiece. And in each of those, we can see it speaking to a spiritual truth, or, or maybe two, and then also what our proper response to that truth should be. So let's dive in. Uh, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. So the psalm opens up on kind of a low note, right? The psalmist is crying out to God in the midst of hardship, out of the depths, as he describes it. And we, get, we can get a clue as to the cause of this hardship by, uh, by looking at what he's asking God for. And that's mercy. He said, be attentive to my cry for mercy. And so I think a, a safe assumption to be made here is that the cause of his distress is his own personal sin. He's saying, God, I've made a mistake. I've sinned against you, and now I'm dealing with the consequences of that sin, and I am asking you for mercy. And within that, we see the first truth that this psalm communicates. And that's that sin has consequences. We don't know the specifics of what the, the writer of this psalm, what, what his sin is, uh, nor the specific situation he's found himself in as a result of that, but we can clearly see that it's unpleasant. And the reality is that we encounter the consequences of sin and the sin of others on a daily basis. And I think we can split the consequences of sin kind of into two categories. And I'm, I'm going to call them um, personal and global. So personal sin, uh, in the first and foremost, the, the consequence of personal sin is a broken relationship with God. That's what sin does. It breaks our relationship with God. For those with no faith in Jesus, sin breaks that relationship. And if it's left that way, when we die, it becomes permanent and eternal. For, for the believer, for those who have placed our faith in Jesus, the sin that we have in our lives creates distance between us and God. If we have sin in our lives that, that we just keep to ourselves, the things that we just feel like we can't let go of, and we just keep living in that, it creates distance between us and God. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where, you're, where you just can't let something go. You can see the way that it affects your prayer life. You can see uh, the way that it affects your desire to look into Scripture. It damages and breaks our relationship with God. Other uh, personal consequences of sin can sometimes be a little bit more visible from the outside. I'm going to give you an example of this, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, but it's one that happens 
too often in our world. So a person makes the poor decision of consuming too much alcohol to the point of being drunk and then proceeds to get into their car and drive. And while they're driving, they swerve into the oncoming traffic lane and and they cause a head-on collision with another car and a person in that other car is killed. We can point to several examples of sin within that situation. But let's talk about the consequence of that. For, for the driver, there's guilt, sorrow, regret, those, those emotions that w- would likely come with that. There's going to be financial hardship that comes along with that. There are going to be legal consequences that come from that. And that's all directly a result from, from sin. For the victim, obviously there are consequences for the victim in that situation. They lost their life. And for those who knew the victim or those who knew uh, the driver, loss, mourning, anger, losing a mom, a dad, a sibling, a child. It's messy, it's ugly, it's painful. The consequences of those sins would certainly put someone in the depths. Right? I think that's a an apt description of people that are in that scenario. Again, that's, that's an example with some extreme, immediate, very, very visible consequences. But the same concept holds true for every proud, dishonest, selfish moment that we have. Any sinful moment we have, there are consequences to that. So that's sort of that personal side of things. But then there's, there's what I'm deeming global consequences of sin. And that stems from Genesis chapter 3. The very beginning, that's the story where Adam and Eve eat from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And God is doling out the consequences for that disobedience. And that is a sermon in and of itself, but there are some major components that we can apply to today. So some of the things that happen because of that is that work becomes more difficult and it becomes harder to enjoy. So have you ever had a task at work that was really difficult or that you really hated or a chore at home that would sort of fall into that category? Just like, oh, this is just terrible. My back hurts now because I had to you know, build a wall, a retaining wall at home with my dad or something like that. You're experiencing the global consequences of sin. Work is hard. Relationships with one another become harder. Specifically, they talk about uh, the husband and wife relationship. So if you've ever had an argument with someone else or been impacted by an unhealthy marriage or a divorce, you're experiencing the global consequences of sin. As a result of their disobedience, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, removed from God's presence, and prevented from eating from the tree of life, which meant that they eventually died, and every single person after them has eventually died. So if you've ever been sick ever had someone close to you pass away, you're experiencing the consequences of that global sin. And all of those things I just listed, personal and global, are pretty heavy. And try as we might, we cannot overcome those consequences on our own. And that leads us to the reasonable response to that truth. The truth being... Sin has consequences. The way that we respond to that, the only way we can is to cry for mercy. Cry for mercy. We are absolutely and universally 
unable to overcome sin, but God isn't. So when we find ourselves in the depths of sin and its consequences, instead of buying into the you know, sort of American value of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, trying to take care of it all on our own, we need to recognize our inability and turn to the one who is able. At this point, you might be thinking, man, Alex is a bummer today. What's up with him? It's true. Sin is a bummer. That's not a strong enough word even. It's terrible. It's a tragedy. But I promise you, things will start to look up as we move through this psalm. So let's, let's look at the next section, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. So this section uh, actually communicates two really important truths. And the first one is found in, in uh, verse 3. So the psalmist asks this question that he knows the answer to. Basically saying, how many people in the world would be able to stand up in front of God and say, I have never sinned? Answer, zero. There is no one alive that can say that. Every single person has sinned. And that's, that's the truth here. Sin is a universal component of the human condition, apart from Jesus. Everyone in this room, everyone you know or will ever know, has sinned. And if you remember what we just talked about, the idea of consequences, that's a scary idea when you factor that in. And you can, you can figure that out. Just, you know, turn on the news and say, oh, yeah, that is scary that every single person sins, and there are consequences to every single person's sin. But then we reach verse 4, and we see the good news. But with you, there is forgiveness. And that's the other truth in this passage. Forgiveness can be found with God. And it can be easy to take that for granted. Most of you have grown up in Christian homes and have heard that idea at home, at church, for years and years and years. So yes, I know I can find forgiveness in God. But that's the greatest news ever. It's the greatest news ever. Sin is universal. Sin has consequences, but God has made a way for us. In the Old Testament, this happened through animal sacrifice. Read Leviticus 4 through 6, and it talks about sin offerings and guilt offerings and all of that. And it was a bloodbath. It was... It's not pretty. But that illustrates, again, the consequences of sin, the deadly consequences of sin. Eventually, though, God provided for us the ultimate sacrifice, right? Through Jesus Christ that covered the sins of everybody. And the reality that, that God incarnate had to be brutalized and killed for our sin is a reminder of how seriously we should take sin. But it's also a reminder of the value that God places on each of us. He was willing to do that. So the reasonable response to these truths, sin is universal, forgiveness is found in God, is that we should fear God. Therefore, you are feared. Let's talk for a minute about that concept of fear. 
we all have fears. Like we'd probably go around the room and everyone would say, hey, I'm afraid of that. It could be fear of heights, fear of snakes or spiders, fear of public speaking. We fear things when we know or, or think that the consequence of not giving them proper respect will cause us harm. So I'll say that again. We fear things when we know or think that the consequence of not giving them proper respect will cause us harm. Sometimes our fears are rational. Sometimes they're irrational. A fear of heights, in most cases, is, I'd say, is a rational fear. If you don't give heights the proper respect, it can cause you harm. And this is where the concept of fearing God comes into play. The consequences of not giving God proper respect can cause us harm. That's what sin is, is us not giving God proper respect. But there's an added layer to fearing God. Because unlike anything else, and you know, I, I listed a couple of fears before, unlike anything else, the consequence of not fearing God impacts not only our life here on earth, but it affects eternity. So some of you may have seen the documentary uh, Free Solo. It was um, put out a few years ago. I, I watched it about a year ago, and it got my heart pounding. My hands have never been as sweaty as sitting on my couch watching this movie. And so if, you, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's a documentary that follows rock climber Alex Honnold as he attempts to climb uh, a 3,000-foot rock formation in Yosemite. By the way, he's doing it with no ropes. That's what free soloing is, is where people go and they climb and they do it with no ropes. Look at that picture. He's dangling there, thousands of feet in the air, nothing but his fingertips and one foot kind of sitting there. One of the things that they talk about in the documentary uh, is the number of people who are killed attempting to do this. And they, they talk about, oh yeah, this person died, oh yeah, this person died. Oh, they, they talk about it almost in a, in a callous way because it's just expected, almost. Eventually that's going to happen to you. But people who do this, they, they overcome any fear of heights. But the consequence of that can be, and oftentimes is, deadly. And the idea of that is horrible. It makes me sad. But, but the reality is that the consequence in those situations only extends to life here on earth. Even falling off a cliff thousands of feet only affects our life here on earth. It has no bearing on eternity. But our sin, that's not having respect for God and his authority and his commands, impacts both this life, as we've talked about, and eternity. And God is the only one with power over sin, over our sin. And so we should fear, that is, respect and revere God and him above all else. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 10:28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
God has power over sin, and that's a good thing because God is good. We just, we're singing about that, right? God is good. Fearing God doesn't mean avoiding him. Fearing God doesn't mean disliking him or being scared of him. The way that, you know, that might be the way that we view spiders if we don't like spiders. That's not what fear means in this. It means recognizing and respecting the power and position that he has. And the world often tells us to overcome our fear in God. Not in those exact words. But we're encouraged to take care of ourselves, revere ourselves, and, everything, and do everything that we can to not be reliant upon anything or anyone. That would be a bad thing in the values of the world. But that's not the way that we live. We know we're dependent on God. We can't overcome our fear of God. That would have deadly, deadly consequences. So we maintain a healthy fear of God. Let's, let's continue on to verses 5 and 6. It says, I, will wait, or I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning. So the beginning of the psalm doesn't start out on a good note, right? Psalmist is crying out to God from the depths of his sin. He's feeling regret. He's dealing with consequences. And to a degree, he's feeling the weight of mankind's sin. Who could stand before you? But within that despair, he points to God's character as merciful, as forgiving. And he finds hope in the truth of God's character. And that's the truth we see at play here. God provides hope in the depths of our sin. When we encounter those moments where we're at the end of ourselves and we're helplessly struggling with the consequences of our own sin or the sin of the world around us, we can count on God's promise to forgive, to redeem, to rescue, and deliver And that leads us right into our reasonable response. That we wait with eagerness for the relief from our sinful condition. So the image that uh, the psalmist uses here is that of a watchman. So when I I picture that, uh, I picture a person, a watchman, standing up on the wall of a fortified city at night. It's his job to keep watch, to look for for threats, right? And he's waiting for the morning. Because with the morning comes light. Light reveals what's out there. It, 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 there. There's less of a place to hide, right? So the watchman waits for the morning. Here's the thing about this image. You can count on the morning coming without fail. Never in history has morning failed to come. It's there every day. You can count on it. We can know exactly when it happens now with technology. It's really early these days. But that's the kind of hope that we can and should have in God's mercy and forgiveness, hope that we can count on. It's not the the kind of hope that a sports fan has at the beginning of the season saying, man, I sure hope that my team wins the championship this year. It's not the type of hope that we have 
when we go on vacation. We're like, oh man, I really hope that we have good weather when we go. Both of those things, they're unsure hopes. May or may not come true. But the hope that we can have in God is the same type of hope we can have about the coming of each day. You can count on him without fail to show up. And so we wait on that hope, day in, day out. And that's why we can wait with eagerness. It's not like waiting like, is this this ever going to happen? It's like, I know this is going to happen. And so I'm waiting for it. I'm excited for it. And we also wait on the hope of what's to come in the future. Let's move on to verses 7 and 8. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So what we can experience right now is forgiveness from our sin. We can experience that forgiveness, that mercy. We can experience a repaired relationship with God right now. And we can experience the transformation of our life right now. It's what we call sanctification, right? That process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Transforming our lives. But in the midst of all that, we continue to experience the consequences of sin. Right? It's, it, we're forgiven, but it's still there. In our world, there's still sickness and death. There's still violence. There's still poverty. There's still injustice. There's still dishonesty. And the list goes on and on. We still deal with all of that stuff. But there's going to be a day where God will redeem his entire creation and set things completely right again. That's the truth that we see here. God will redeem his entire creation. If you look at the Bible as a whole, it's a big book, right? There are only four chapters in this whole thing, a few pages, where things are completely right. It's the first two. Got Adam and Eve with God in the garden, the way things are supposed to be. Genesis 3 happens, sin enters the world, then the vast majority of this book is mankind grappling with their sin and God making a way out of it. But then we get to the last two chapters that we get to look forward to in the future. It's kind of back to the garden in a lot of ways. Let me read just a couple of of verses from Revelation 21 of what we can look forward to. It said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That sounds pretty good to me. That sounds like something to look forward to, to hope for. No more death, mourning, crying, pain, sin. To get that. We we just talked about it a, a few weeks ago, that unfiltered presence of God that we get to experience. 
And our reasonable response to that truth is to loosen our grasp on this world. So often we hold so tightly to the things of this world. And you know, God has given us a lot of really good things for us to enjoy and for us to be thankful for. But we can't hold too tightly to those things because there's something far better in store for us. They're nothing compared to what God has in store for the completion of his plan. And so we loosen our grasp on this world. We hope in God and not the things of this world. I think that's one of the hardest ones. But it's also one of the most important ones. We started out this morning some pretty heavy stuff, right? But we ended with this incredible hope for the present, what we can experience now and for the future, and that those things can be found only in God. So graduates, these are the truths that you need to store up in your hearts. To be mindful of our sin and our need for mercy. Being hopeful, the forgiveness that God has provided through Jesus that's available to each and every one of you. And to be eager for God's future plan for your lives right now, but into eternity. Forever, right? He's got some good things in store for you in the next couple years. He's going to use you but he's got something in store for you for eternity. Be eager for that. The enemy will do everything in his power to twist those truths, to try to discredit those truths, to try and tell you that they don't apply to you, you don't need them. He'll put obstacles in your way as you try to live your lives according to those truths, which is why it's so important to read them study them, memorize them, treasure them, and respond to them. Again, not just knowing them, but responding to them in the wise and correct way. And they're found here in Psalm 130. We just looked at them. They're all right there. But this whole book is filled with that, of God's communication to us, his word to us, the story of how he has overcome sin and offered these things to us freely. So it's my deepest desire, and I have no doubt that it's shared by the vast majority of the people in this room, for you to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to let that guide your lives. As you all, I think, probably already know, there will be times when that's really difficult for a variety of reasons. Which is why we like to do this every year. Again, it's to celebrate you, but really it's to remind you and to to pray for you. To, To remind you that you have this group of people that love you and desire that for your lives. And so each year, and I want to move into this time now, I like to recognize our graduates. We you know, put a, a slideshow up and we get to see fun photos of them all and, and see where they graduated from high school and where they're going next. Um, 
which is great, but it's there to inform us in how we can be praying for you. And so I, I want to go through that, just recognize you each individually, and then after that I'm going to invite you all up, and I'm going to invite your parents to come up as well so that we can, um, we can pray for you. So I'm sure Sam Atwood has never been first on a list before in his life. This will probably not be the last time. But Sam uh, graduated from Byron, and next year he's heading off to RCTC. And so here's the thing. They're all here this morning, so if you want to know any more about this, I'll give you permission to come ask them. Madison Holty graduated from Century High School and is going to be attending St. Scholastica in Duluth next year. Michael Kern, graduating from Lampo Academy, and he has a job already at Park Place Motors. Is that right? Yeah. Madison Lemke, John Marshall High School, and she's going to be going to University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. Hayden Martin, Century High School, RCTC next year. Ellie Ulbrich graduated from Westview Academy and is also going to be going to University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and I believe rooming with someone that she may know, right? Aiden West is uh, just graduated from Century High School. He's heading off to the Chicago area attend Wheaton College. And finally, Rowan Young graduated from City View Academy and RCTC, as we heard earlier. And Rowan recently accepted a job, um, a sales job at Shields for this year. This is our graduating class of 2021. This is what they're doing. And all, all of this stuff that I even just read is... Um, is in the online bulletin that was sent out. So I, I'd encourage you, church body, especially those of you who have uh, invested in these students, you know, put that somewhere. Or you might see it every once in a while and be reminded to, to pray for them as they move into this next stage of life. So we do want to pray for all of you. And so I want to invite you up now, your favorite part, I'm sure, you can just sort of come spread out. And, and parents of these students, I just invite you to come up. Uh, you can do both sides over here. Or if you really like each other, you can all go over there. I invite you to place your hands upon your children. And so... As you can see, we already have a crowd up here. And historically, one of the things that I have done, usually when we've had a little bit smaller class, is invite everyone up who has invested in these students over the years. And um, that's a lot of people without COVID, but uh, I don't know. So here's what we're going to do instead. is I'm going to ask those, uh, and I'm going to go through all of this, so stand when you hear your category. But I want you to stand up so that these students can see the people and the number of people who have invested in them in some way or another over the last 18 years. 
So if you've invested in any of these students in our middle school or high school ministry, in some form or another, I'd invite you to stand. If you invested in these students in Sunday school or Awana or Children's Church, I'd invite you to stand. This is one of my favorite ones. If you invested in any of these students in nursery or little lambs, please, here we go. That's awesome. I, I just love it. That's like all the way for some of you from the beginning of your lives, you have had people whose highest desire for your lives is to know Jesus as your Savior. And that's our desire for you now. More than success in your future career or good grades or any of those things that the world places the value on. And those aren't t bad things. I encourage you to, to work hard and get good grades if you're heading off to school. But the most important thing is to make Jesus the center of your lives. And that's what all of these people, those standing, and again, I think I can speak for everyone else, want for you. And so let me close this this morning before we send our worship team back up and pray. I, I encourage you, I'm going to pray for us. I encourage you all, you don't have to listen to my prayer. I encourage you all to be praying for these students right now. Yeah, if you're standing up, you can, you can sit down if you want. But let's take this time to pray for our graduates. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your faithfulness, that we can count on them, or that all of these students can count on those things. I'm thankful for each and every one of them. I'm thankful for the unique people that you've made each of them to be. You've given them all strengths and gifts, personality, You've imprinted your image on each of them, and we recognize that. Lord, and we pray for them. We ask that you uh, would help them to grow deeper in their faith, grow closer in their relationship with you, and make their desire to serve you in every area of their lives. Make that desire stronger. Lord, point them in the direction that you would have them go. Give them boldness. Lord, as they go and influence those around them. Lord, I pray that you would be with them, remind them of your presence in the depths. Lord, help them to wait with eagerness on the hope of the good things that you have in their lives here on earth as well as into eternity. Lord, use them wherever they may go. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We love